Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. Hey guys, this is your People of Purpose podcast host, Tanner Badgley. Do you want to get a short email from me? Would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that personalizes your path of purpose? The POP newsletter, because people of purpose, is a very short email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life each week to more personally and purposefully pursue my purpose. It will include a short update on how my podcast is helping me grow into my purpose, a quote that's been on my mind from a purposeful resource such as a podcast, book, video, or mentor, as well as a nugget of advice from my experience on how to better align and optimize your life for your purpose. And finally, I'll try to share inspiration with you on how one of our listeners is benefiting from people of purpose. So please take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com. You don't even need to write a message, just include in the subject header, People of Purpose Newsletter, and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. There's other levels of privilege that I carry. Gives me a lot of power and responsibility. Almost an invitation to take risks. Life is all behavior design. Who we are and how we relate has a big impact on what we create. So it's really important that we're training people to broaden their understanding, bring in diverse perspectives, consider things from a systems level, and really be thoughtful about the stuff that we're putting out into the world. Anything I can do in service of that, team humanity, spaceship Earth, the beautiful world in our hearts we know is possible, I want to be on that team. Andy Dunn is a Bay Area-based conscious entrepreneur who envisions a world in which technology supports human beings. A digital native who struggled with tech addiction for over a decade, Andy is currently working on Ciempo to give people their lives back and help them flourish. Ciempo's first product is an Android app that transforms your phone into a healthier digital experience. Andy is also passionate about finding creative ways to support transformative projects and inspiring young adults to pursue their inner work. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew Dunn. That's double A, Andrew Dunn. Interviewing Andy was a special experience. I really appreciate his thoughtfulness and his sense of responsibility from the position he's been gifted in life with the intelligence he's been gifted and all the resources. I love how purposeful and intentional he is with how he uses all those things. It really resonates with me. He feels similar to me in so many ways, even though he's in such a different realm that I operate in. And that was really invigorating to have that kind of conversation we were able to have today. I love how he thinks at this high level, this very meta level, about his impact he's able to have on the world. It's, we didn't talk about programming details or technical sort of aspects of what he does. We talked about the purpose, the intentionality, the higher sense of uh, self he's looking to access and draw out of others with technology. I love how his technology is such a paradox or an irony from what we're used to seeing. It's an app to get people off their phones, to get people 
unaddicted to their technology. And I love that. It's such an ethical uh, way of being. And the ways he's able to think about how that can survive and um, function in today's economy um, was really fascinating. Um, and with that, I love his optimism. He's able to constantly believe there's better places we're moving to, that the grass is going to be greener on the other side. And I, I agree. I think he's right. Uh, he makes really smart points about that um, that I wholeheartedly agreed with. I appreciate how he has this interest in fusing ancient wisdom with hyper-modern topics. He clearly has a very well-developed mindfulness practice. He does a lot to um, work on this through retreats and courses, and he has the vernacular to really discuss it in an um, intelligent manner and in a relatable manner, and I love all of that. Also, I really recommend you read his blog. It's super beautiful writing. He, I love his vulnerable expressions. He really takes you on a journey through his mind and he incorporates a lot of sense of place and where he's at. I would not be surprised if he published a book in the next five years because he is top-notch level with writing. And finally, I just, I just think what's going to stick with me over the, the coming weeks is just to continue to trust my intuition and the bliss that, uh, that comes from that and just keep following that and trusting that that love, that place of um, joy is where I do need to move and where, where I need to go. And by being an example of someone that lives like that, I'm going to have the kind of impact I'm looking to have in the world. So thank you so much to Andy for impacting me in this way. And I'm super excited to share with you our episode today on People of Purpose. Please welcome today's guest, Andy Dunn. Hello, Andy. Hey there. Nice to see you. I'm happy to meet, get to meet you. I did a lot of research about you this weekend and... Uh, I'm pretty amazed with the way you think and the way you express it, particularly in your blog. I spent a lot more time than I thought I was going to reading over your writing. Definitely have a gift. Um, and I'm really excited to explore kind of this thought space you live in because I've never had a guest like that on the podcast. And um, I think that you're going to have a lot that you can teach this audience and teach me. And I'm really excited mm -hmm. to see how that impacts my purpose over the following week. Thanks, Tanar. Yeah, I'm grateful to be here. <laughs> So we met uh, through a recommendation from Nick Zofo, and I haven't told you much about our relationship, but Nick has been like my podcasting mentor. Mm. He has, uh, I reached out to him before I started my podcast to help set it up, and he has been amazing. Like, he's been an accountability person for me. Every couple of weeks, we have like a conference type of phone call, and he's had me on his podcast after I finished up a 10-day meditation course. Mm. Um, and then he recommended you to me and he's got a couple others in the pipeline and I'm super excited for all that that's awesome I love the community that's being built around this medium yeah yeah so you talk about how um, your purpose is the project of your life I want to know more about why you frame it that way as a project and also what what is your purpose just to start with hmm <laughs> I think my purpose is evolving. For the last couple of years, it's been to wake people up from the hypnosis of technology. I think the, the next phase is more around the hypnosis of privilege. Mm. And I think that's more of a story of my life because it just involves so many relationships and life experiences and systems dynamics and to the technology part is still real and valuable. I 
and, and they're related in, in a way they're related. So yeah, um, I think the project of my life is something that I am in, I'm working in service of, and it can take on a variety of expressions based on where I'm at in my personal and professional journey. But yeah, it's a project. So it's not like this one apocalyptic, like the only passion you can have in life, like the one and only. Right. I think right. Uh, a project can take on many forms. And so I like that word. Huh, yeah. So what's the project you're working on right now? So there's about five things I'm working on right now. And they're all expressions of communities and experiences that I have access to. So Ciempo is my main project and that's around helping people build healthier relationships with technology. So I think that's an expression of my personal challenges with social media and smartphone addiction and having worked in the tech industry. I wanted to make a difference and I wanted to work on something that really resonated with me and felt like it was needed for the world. But then in the last year, I've started a few other things. I started an alumni community for, for my university to bring together people who are interested in personal growth and integrating that with their work in the world because I started having conversations with some of those people now that we've been out of school for a few years. And yeah, they were really nourishing conversations and great relationships. And so we've been having online dialogue and in-person events and been working with the school. So yeah, that's just acknowledging that I have access to a community and that there's there's fruit to be picked there. There's uh, there's potential to co-create and share notes on business and life. And then this one's kind of back to Siempo. I, I started a community for all the developers in our space. There's this growing digital wellness space. And what's really cool is that most of these developers, they're small teams, super mission-driven, really care about this issue. You know, they're serious business people, but the goal isn't to become, you know, $100 billion company. It's really to have an impact. And so because of that, we're more likely to want to collaborate with each other and share notes and help each other out than, you know, be super secretive and competitive and treat this as a zero-sum game. So mm -hmm. it's been really fun to build that community. And yeah, that was just in recognition of, hey, like, <laughs> I've been making friends with all these people just because I like to. Why don't we get each other in a Slack chat and see what happens? And then the latest one, it's tentatively called Conscious Angels. That's been a really fun evolution. Just in the last month, it kind of went from this idea of, hey, how can we get more of these mindful tech projects funded to how can we change the conversation around impact investing and help a lot of these transformative projects, some tech, some not to kind of like conscious personal finance and wealth management and aligning your resources with your heart. Mm. And it's still very open-ended, but, but right now I'm really, I'm really intrigued by that. And I think that's where it ties back to the privilege piece. It's that if I reflect on my, my life, I'm, I'm 28. Um, I, I grew up in one of the wealthiest zip codes in the country. I went to an Ivy League school. I've been an early employee at a lot of these tech companies. So I have access to a lot of resources and communities that 99% of the world does not have or hasn't in history. And there's been a lot of resources invested in me. 
and there's other levels of privilege that I carry. And I feel that gives me a lot of power and mm-hmm. responsibility and almost, almost an invitation to take risks and to, to really try to live as an embodiment of what I value and the world I want to see. And I don't think that we have the almost like financial emotional intelligence, like the, the language to talk about how we engage with the economy. I think that there's, there's a lot of room to, there's a lot of opportunity there. So not really sure what the thing is that we're birthing, but right now it's a really fun question to explore. Yeah. When did you notice that A, you were privileged, but B, that you wanted to do something very conscious and thoughtful and mindful about the privilege? I feel like when you're a teenager and you have those things, you're just celebrating because you got all that. Like, when did it become about others and the way it is now? The, the biggest shift was probably when I spent a year living in South and Southeast Asia, a year after college. I got to be in direct experience with a lot of people whose lives were very different from mine, not just walking around the street, but I, I worked for a couple of different organizations where my coworkers were earning a tenth of the salary that I was learning, earning as an expat. And so just getting some insight into more of their, their existence and the way that they perceive reality and where they are in their own uh, economic and social systems was really enlightening for me. It was also really upsetting as I saw these beautiful cultures sort of, I mean, colonized basically by this global capitalism, consumerism that we've exported to the developing world. Mm-hmm. So I guess this was 2013, but yeah, all the kids in Indonesia, they were getting their smartphones. And so, you know, they're, they're living in this beautiful place and they still have these tight family structures and they're now just sitting on the social media, gaming, video all day long and eating you know, the fast food, the junk food, and watching the movies, the, the junk movies. And I was just like, man, like, is, is this the best way of doing things? <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, I, I've worked for a bunch of different startups um, over the last few years, and a lot of them were venture-backed startups. And after a while of working really hard, because that's kind of the, the culture of a lot of these companies where, yeah, there's good intentions to innovate and to have an impact, but end of the day, an investor's job is to make money for their investors. And so that often leads to a culture of just like hyper growth and a lot of ego and competition. And and yeah, I, I was feeling the pain of that as as someone who was engaging with that system and kind of seeing some of the dynamics taking place, how power and resources weren't really distributed equitably. And I just started thinking about like, what, what, what role do I want to have in all this? First, where do I want my life force to be going at the end of the day? I don't think that's a question a lot of people ask themselves when they're taking a job. It's definitely important, but you know, so there's a lot of parts of it. Like what, where the role, what's the role, what's the pay, where are the hours, um, what's the culture? And it's hard to find that perfect mix. I mean, there's really a lot of privilege in being able to find that perfect thing. 
but yeah, I was just seeing kind of how, how, how I, I had a lot of choice making power and I could put it into some, something that, you know, end of the day, wasn't really doing much for the world or I could put it into all these other places. And so I just started becoming a bit curious about all those other places I could put it that could be more in service of the whole versus in service of me making my buck and the management investors making theirs. Right. I wanted to read an excerpt from your blog along the lines (laughs) of this topic. Can I do that? Go for it. Okay. You said, it was Friday night and I was alone to enjoy my company, traveling further inward. I cried. This was my first experience with solitude. It was euphoric. For the next blur of a few days, I was high as the Himalayans on this. I wanted to and I have. Shout out to everybody I know and love that they need to try this thing. I wandered around India for a week, reading, writing, thinking, learning, and living. It was the time of my life. I mold over the decisions I have made throughout college, the people I associated with and our relationships, the cultural differences I had learned of since arriving, the habits I had picked up and the ones I wanted to change, the reality that I found myself in, the dreams I wanted to pursue, I opened up to myself and simultaneously loved and hated what I discovered. That's Damn. How, how does that make you feel hearing that again? <laughs> I'm impressed that I wrote that. I'm patting myself on the back. <laughs> yeah. You should be. It's that was raw. raw. <laughs> Thank you. So it sounds like you had a, a lot of self-discovery and worldly discovery during this time. How were you able to to drop this this lifestyle that seemed like it was sustainable for you with the income you were making and with being in these sort of countries where it is very cheap and you seem to love your lifestyle you're able to drop all of that to work on five tech projects right now mm. and like tell, take me through that transition and and how have you really uh, been able to fuel that transition mm. it didn't come overnight that's for sure i mean that that quote was almost five years ago today and I recall in the months after that, even though I was, I was learning about these different schools of thought, philosophies, religions, and having all these growth experiences, there was still a big pull of like, nope, you got to stick to the career path. How are you going to make money exploring this stuff? You know, like, got to get a job. And, and so I did that. And, you know, I worked a job here, job there. That then there was a moment, I guess, halfway in between then and now where, yeah, I kind of felt like, okay, that's it. I, I am only going to put my energy into things that are nourishing me and serving the whole. And I, I really just followed my bliss here and there. Uh, I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert loves to talk about following your curiosities instead of trying to find that one big passion. And Steve Jobs has a quote about listening to the silent pull of your heart. Mm. And, and Rumi also had that quote mm. at the end of this post you had in there. Yes. Oh, maybe, maybe did I just confuse Steve Jobs with Rumi? Maybe I Steve think... Jobs quoted Rumi in the graduation speech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there's some reincarnated form. Um, I would not be surprised about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think I just trusted in that. I mean, those quotes are all about intuition. So I guess my intuition was just trusting the, the intuition that I saw. And being in the Bay Area at the time, there's, there's so many communities and centers and events and people who are interested in personal growth and inner work. And so I started getting really excited about that. And I was really thrilled to find that there was this emerging part of the business world that crossed over with 
transformation, mindfulness, yeah, personal development. And it felt like a part of the business world that could be happening for a while because to be honest, I wasn't really sure I wanted to be in the business world after some so at venture back news. And that that's what led me to work with Siempo. I had started hacking on a project and while pitching that at a meetup, I met these guys working on a mindful phone and we were really resonating. And so we started working together and one thing went to another. And along the way, yeah, I just got immersed in all these awesome communities and met some, met some incredible people. And I think that just gave me more confidence. Like once you, once I experienced that listening to that intuition was serving me really well and all the people around me, it just builds that muscle and builds that trust to the point where, you know, today, to be honest, like, I don't really know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> I, I have a good sense of a few things that are important, wow. but I'm also like very, very open to, you know, if it's really nice out, I'm going to take a walk. Or if there's a conversation that feels important, I'm going to call that person. And if, if I'm called to read this, this article that I've been saved, you know, like I, 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 I've never been such a productivity methodical oriented person. I, I feel like I'm really good at holding a lot of balls in the air and kind of surfing where it needs attention at the right time without being too fixated on when certain things need to happen. Of course, when there's a deadline for something, there's a deadline, but I don't know. I think this more fluid approach to life. That's a bit more intuitive, makes it a lot more effortless. Mm. And and I like that effortless expression because it then doesn't really feel like work. And if I have this alignment and the stuff I'm working on feels, uh, you know, the, the Japanese concept of uh, ikigai? Yeah, yeah. Reason for being. So it's mm-hmm. like what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. And I feel like over the last five years, I've really been able to kind of move closer to that on all dimensions. And so, yeah, I, I feel like I wake up every day and I, I get to do all these amazing things and they can kind of come as they need to, no particular order. That's fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, congrats for being able to do that. Like that's, yeah, I mean, that's hard to do in the Bay Area. I think um, it's a fast paced society. There's a lot mm-hmm. of competition. Um, people are getting priced out all the time. So you definitely have to stay on top of things. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, you have a lot of high stakes things going on around fundraising and building a team and platform. Um, yeah, it's very cool that you've been able to do all that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, can you take me back to your, you described yourself as a tech addict. Yeah, you had mm. 10 years of tech addiction. How did you begin to recognize your addiction to technology? Um, when it is so ubiquitous and then how did overcoming that addiction lead you to purpose? It was really that wake up call in India. I didn't have Wi-Fi for the first time in about a decade. And so because my environment had changed, my behavior had to change with it. And then it was such a sharp distinction between my existence prior and my existence in those moments that I really felt it viscerally it was like, wow, this is direct experience with the world. And <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And 
I, I really enjoyed that. I felt more creative, present, fulfilled, excited, alive. And I, I spent a while, the next few months and years, trying these different apps to help with self-control and productivity and all these little manual tricks that people blog about. And some were helpful, marginally. I, I did find it hard to set up all my systems for success. You know, the smartphone, the desktop, tablet, and then different types of apps. Like, I don't think Snapchat was really around at the time. And, you know, dating apps were just coming online. So all these, all these things were being introduced at different times and people were learning how to relate with them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like no one was really talking about it. So it was kind of a solo journey. And I think it's becoming increasingly challenging because it's, it's almost normalized in society. And we don't really have the emotional intelligence training to, to regulate our own emotions when we're like stuck on Instagram for the 10th minute, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nor do we have it to open the conversation with our partner or teammate if, if they're using their phone at an appropriate time. You know, we don't really know the, the right things to say that aren't too aggressive or triggering. So yeah, it's, it's challenging, but I'm optimistic because there's a lot of great developers out there and parents, educators, um, religious leaders, also community leaders are are really taking taking interest in this topic and trying to f- work together to figure out better ways to relate with tech. Right, right. Yeah, it, you are. It, you talked about digital wellness. That's a new concept that I've never really explored. And mm-hmm. humane design, um, attention economy. I like these little phrases mm-hmm. that. I feel like are not in the mainstream vernacular um, and you really delved into them. It's very cool. Yeah. Not, they're not yet in the mainstream. They're getting there, but I was just at a barbecue and I was, I was kind of dumbfounded. Like I, I was explaining all this stuff <laughs> to people who I thought, you know, might understand it and you know, it's not a judgment on them, but I guess I have to remember that I live in this bubble in a bubble in Silicon Valley where there's more awareness of, of what's going on. And then, you know, back with parents, friends in the suburbs on the East coast, like there's definitely some education required to kind of explain the dynamics at play. Right. Right. So what is your vision for CMPO? I, I think you said, um, CMPO will be a unified layer across all your tools, smartphone, desktop, tablet, wearables, etc., protecting your attention, preventing unconscious usage and improving mental health. Um, and then you also go on to mention uh, building out an AI interface to learn user behavior and adjust their digital world to support their goals and intentions. Yeah, man. I just want tech that's on our side, that's there to help us be the best human being we can be. How do and... you do that and make money? <laughs> well, I think we're getting good at how to do it. Yeah. Um, how we... are you not going to get like, you know, competed out by less benevolent businesses that may disguise themselves as benevolent? Yeah, I mean, part of it is just pushing the envelope in in terms of the design innovation. Like already, since we've been in the Play Store, a few other expressions of this product strategy, which is an interface. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's an app you download from the Android Play Store, and then it replaces your phone's home screen. 
there's there's now a few other out there one for kids one that's more minimalist a couple others and so i think that the more people who are tinkering with the strategy for different communities different demographics uh with different skill sets and motivations the the better we'll we'll get at solving this problem and the faster the bigger companies like Samsung or HTC and then Google Apple will imitate what we do. And yeah, you know, that's kind of lame that that's how that's how innovation happens these days, but it's also a really fast way to, you know, com- uh fulfill your mission. So we're yeah, we're motivated just to keep working on this because it's 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 a gift for humanity in a way. And we're generating revenue in the meantime. Right now the app is donation based. We're still in beta. and we plan on charging for premium features when we come out of beta. Then we have some B2B contracts on the side in progress that should make this a nice sustainable business. But for the average yeah. consumer in in any country it should be a like is it almost free? It was a what was it donate what you want? A, like minimum Yeah, pay what you can. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'd like to align incentives. So, you know, like we can't be a free app and use advertisements. because the incentives don't really make sense. That's against we, your ethos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we really we're really trying to do the right thing across all parts of the business from fundraising to privacy to the product to how we collaborate with competitors and things like that because I think that's mm-hmm. that's the best way to to do something like this. And um what what's in the humane purposeful design can you briefly describe um some of what I was able to read today for listeners to understand kind of what Sampo is Yeah Sampo's an interface that helps reduce overuse unconscious use and helps you feel better about your your phone relationship The humane design phrase I think there's a few names for it there's there's calm design, calm computing, humane design, ethical design and I think the the core is having a really strong empathy for the user experience not just in the sense of making it easy to use but in let's consider when sending this push notification what else is happening in the user's life right now like if it's 2 a.m. and this person's been watching Netflix for 4 hours, should we auto play the next video? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um if we've detected certain emotional behavior on someone's Facebook uh feed, should we show them this type of content that could be really triggering? I think it's just it's just aligning the product with the best interests of the human being, of the human animal. Right. And so far the last 5-10 years of growth on the internet it's been a lot about just like what some people call race the bottom of the brain stem. Like mm, I like that. I've never heard that. That's what are all the sense. tricks we can employ to maximize the time you spend on this thing because the more time you spend on Facebook the more Facebook can sell advertisements and the stock price goes up. Facebook's actually taken some remarkable leadership recently and been willing to change its algorithm to deprioritize how much time a user spends on on the platform. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. 
but yeah. yeah in general that's been the ethos like grow 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 at all costs with a little regard to the externalities the harms that might be um externalized to the human to the community mm -hmm. to the environment yeah. if you're a teacher looking for a summer job that allows you to travel as far away from the classroom as you possibly can and still make good money i have the perfect job for you one way I was able to spend my last year and a half living in Asia and seeing so much in North America was because I worked online. I taught English online to Chinese students through VIP Kid. VIP Kid is one of the fastest growing startups in China. It started in 2014 and is growing rapidly because they pay teachers well, allow you to work from anywhere in the world with a stable Wi-Fi connection, and allow you to make your own schedule amongst all kinds of other support and benefits. VIP Kid uses their own platform and materials for their students that, in which they place students at their appropriate levels. They also do all the scheduling and payroll for you. You don't have to worry about the hassles of building lessons or a curriculum either because VIP Kid has already done it for you. Classes are one-on-one -on -one video calls with students ages 5 to 12 in China. You just fill in your time slots and you're good to go. A class is essentially a 25-minute Skype or Zoom video session with an awesome kid, and you work through the activities on the slides with them. The part I love is that you can work from the beach, the mountains, or any continent in the world. I've worked from Yosemite National Park, Montreal, Canada, New York City, the islands of Thailand, and the Philippines, just to name a few. Just make sure you have a stable Wi-Fi connection and your availability aligns with the after-school hours in China. Find out for yourself why more than 40,000 teachers and 300,000 students teach and learn with VIP Kid, and explore the greater world around you without having to forgo your paycheck. Trust me, the 20 to 30 bucks an hour will go a long way in most countries. So what are you waiting for? Sign up today and start teaching as often as you wish. If you have a bachelor's degree, are a native English speaker from North America, and have teaching experience, experience can be loosely applied, you stand a strong shot with this rapidly expanding company. You don't have to be a formal teacher. The key is experience in teaching. VIP Kid will certainly open up your world like it has mine. To get started, just follow the links I've included in the episode show notes and sign up with my referral code 0275KC and we'll both get up to $100 in rewards once you teach your first class. Share culture, Open up the world for your students and begin your paid vacation today with VIP Kid. So, in the meantime, while this isn't mainstream yet, <laughs> um, what tips or like tactics do you recommend for maintaining self-control while you are in this uh, limitless zone of the internet? Yeah, I think it's really helpful to take inventory of what's on your device and are these things really helping you achieve your goals and intentions in life or are they kind of getting in the way? And if they're getting in the way, then try deleting them or moving them further away, like to the third page or something. Start to experiment with your environment, not just on the phone, also in, in real life. Like if you have a commute by bus every day, and you usually just keep your phone in your pocket, easy to take out, try putting it in your backpack and 
just remove the the ease with which you can just grab it and mindlessly start clicking through stuff and scrolling. If you normally leave your phone next to your computer, maybe try putting it behind the computer or in your backpack so you're not as easily distracted by every notification. And meditate. Meditate really helps. Yeah, <laughs> it really helps you build that, that sure. muscle of self-control. So you have some decision-making power in between the impulse and the action. And yeah, there, there's some great apps out there. So Sample is only on Android right now. But on the iPhone, there's, there's lots of great do not disturb type apps that help you set boundaries. And hopefully more to come. Cool. So what, what does your meditation practice look like? Do you use technology to meditate? Sometimes. I really like Insight Timer. They're actually one of my role model companies. But most days I, I have a few different types of practices, but I think I just default to some simple breath-based practice 10 to 20 minutes in the morning. And how do you, how do you do that? I, I do it too. And most people are like, that's crazy. How do you do that? <laughs> you just sit down and just close your eyes and start. Like, <laughs> but you have all these things on the phone, all these things on the to-do and you want more sleep. How do you do that? Like, what is it that gets you to do that? How do you, yeah. What is that inner intention behind meditation for you? I mean, it took a long time to get there. I feel like it took several years to build up that discipline and it's not perfect. Like I, I have my off days. I went on a couple short retreats. That was really helpful. Yeah, I'd say environments. If if you if you can kind of clear out a space in your room or in your neighborhood that you feel comfortable in, that's quiet, and and start to create a habit of, you know, I'm gonna wake up a bit earlier so I can do this before I make my breakfast, brush my teeth, and get ready for work. Um, or you have an accountability buddy at work who's willing to do it with you. Mm -hmm. All those things are really helpful. Yeah, I agree. Life is all behavior design. That's kind of the, the thing that has been drilled into me by, by working on a behavior change app. Tell There's me this, more. Yeah, so a lot of it stems from this Stanford Persuasive Design Lab, uh, BJ Fogg. A lot of the a lot of the innovations in consumer tech, uh, the founders came from there, like Instagram founder, for example. They they had studied at this lab. And there's this behavior model where it shows that for an action to occur, there needs to be this intersection of triggers, ability, and motivation. So using an example of, um, I'll just use Tiempo as an example. Like if the action that we're trying to induce is for you to put down your phone, then we can do things like play with the triggers. Um, like we can send you a message saying, hey, you've been on your phone for five minutes after you've been on your phone for too long, mm -hmm. which might, get you to put it down we can motivate you by saying hey you know you've uh you're, you're you're this close to your goal of spending you know your daily a lot of time and then we can give you the ability to do it by allowing you to set an autoresponder 
so that you can reduce the anxiety of putting your phone down in case somebody wants to reach you. So in life, I feel that we can do similar things to manipulate the environment and set up triggers and change. Um, I mean, motivation is the hardest part, but there's plenty of things we could do there too. Hmm. That's cool. And do you think tech is the answer to these things or I know that's a question Nick uh, Zofo like wrestles with a lot is how much of an answer is tech versus how much is the problem? Um, it seems like even if tech can do a hundred great things, if it has that one thing that sinks you back into the hole, um, yeah, it, it, but tech is ubiquitous and necessary to, to have in, in the work economy at this point. So, mm-hmm. so I guess we have to deal with tech. It's an inevitable thing. Yeah, I think technology in and of itself is this neutral thing. It it could be less good depending on uh, who's designing it and how it's being used. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely an education component that we need uh, to, to safely engage with these products in a way that's good for our mental health and well-being and that of society. I feel that it's one of the common pieces of criticism we get like, Oh, an app to get you off your phone. Like, you know, that's yeah, ironic. Seems well, ironic. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what else are you going to do? Like people, people really don't have the self-control because there's thousands of the brightest engineers on the other side of the screen, whose job is to figure out how to grab your attention as oh. many times as possible and hold it for as long as possible. So we're fighting yeah. an army of really smart people <laughs> who know how to manipulate us. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, technology that knows the tricks that they play could also be really helpful in protecting you. And in a way, we've always used new technology to solve the problems that older technology creates. So, you know, we're constantly innovating and learning. And I don't think that there's malintent among the the people designing these products and the executives at these firms. I mean, you know, if you want to talk about economics i think the root cause is in this capitalist system where there's incessant pursuit of growth without consideration for long-term consequences and any harms because they're not calculated into the balance sheet so you know if the if the metric that you're optimizing for is money profit then you're going to do the thing that gets you that and you know when you abstract that down a few layers to the the designer and the developer like making a decision in the room like, yeah, they're going to do the thing that their chain of command tells them to. And there's no real, there's not like a philosopher, an ethicist, like a friend in that room being like, well, what is the, what is the user, you know, is this the best thing for them? <laughs> we need to unionize so. and have a representation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so we're starting to see some interesting uh, initiatives to, to train engineers to, to think about ethics. and. Oh, really? Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, moving forward next, yeah, moving forward, if if artificial intelligence is going to be everywhere, then it's really important to to understand the 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 risks involved with creating something, because end of the day, who we are and how we relate has a big impact on what we create. So whether that's a product or a family <laughs> or a team, you know, it's going to be an expression of our fears and biases. So it's really important that we're training people to 
to broaden their understanding, bring in diverse perspectives, consider things from a systems level, and really be thoughtful about the stuff that we're putting out into the world. And that's no safeguard. It's no sure safeguard against people using these tools maliciously. I think that's always going to be something that we're going to have to reckon with. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like some of the decisions being made that these companies influence the behavior of several billion people a day. So it's important that we get it right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you also mentioned around impact investing, how you're hoping to change the conversation around that. Yeah. I guess this goes along with the same topic we were just discussing. How do you, how do you propose we begin to shift away from a money first profit driven mentality yet still maintain such high levels of innovation and growth and you know, stimulate people to, to spend years of their life and hours and hours to make things when there's not a real monetary incentive. I think there's a lot of things at play. I think millennials are demonstrating a greater interest in working on more mission-driven projects and working with teams that are more high EQ, diverse, psychologically safe, what have you. And there are an increasing number of investors who are thinking a bit differently about what it means to support an initiative, an effort, a team with resources. So there's the, the, the conventional wisdom in the angel investing community is that, you know, we're, we're one of the first checks in the door. We're helping this company get to its venture round so it can, you know, go into this 10 to hundred X rocket ship. And, you know, it's a risky bet, but the payoff could be huge. And so we'll place a few bets here and there and, you know, hopefully one pays off. Right. And uh, lots of times those companies crash and burn and maybe you get lucky with one, but yeah, like, so what? Right. I heard about um, Angel List with uh, Naval Ravikant. You know that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have you met him? Not personally, no, but I've heard him speak a couple times on podcasts. Yeah. He seems like he, he knows what's going on. Like, I don't know. What do you think about <laughs> him? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I like the way he thinks. I, I don't have a, a strong opinion on, on the person. I know he's a prolific angel investor. Mm -hmm. And I know he has a mindfulness practice, which is mm -hmm. cool. I, I, I would, I would love to get his opinion on on how the space is changing because my sense, and it's it's hard to back this up with real data, but anecdotally, I'm I'm experiencing a lot of invest, or I'm meeting a lot of investors who are thinking about their for-profit investing, not solely as a like a financial return investment, but as a real like impact return investments uh, where investing in potentially an underrepresented founder has these ripple effects within their community that are hard to measure, but are real and valuable and investing in something like Sampo, same it's, it's, it's hard to measure the impact of a family spending more time together or, <laughs> somebody yeah right but like you know we get that qualitative feedback all the time and 
So it's, it's less about this 10 to 100x growth and more about sustainable prosperity where we're able to create something great and have a, have a better experience for the users, mm-hmm. uh, real fulfillment, job satisfaction, and good wages for people on the team, and, and still generate a return for investors. But it's, it's not really this unicorn style. It's more of this zebra style. There's actually a movement called Zebras Unite that calls for a more ethical and inclusive approach to startup creation because if business is the biggest institution we have on the planet, then the culture of how we're creating new businesses uh, is really important. And right now everyone's looking at Silicon Valley and right now Silicon Valley is like the Y Combinator, Uber, Facebook, like growth at all costs model, which is starting to, you know, bump to the walls a little bit. Um, The Me Too women's movement, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of Facebook drama at some of these companies. With the, yeah, like Facebook is now out there as being known. Their advertising model was very targeting. And I don't know. There were some flaws related to the election. Yeah, privacy. Facebook. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so we, I think across the board, there's there's now greater awareness that some of the models that we've been working with are no longer sustainable and are not going to help us create the world that we want to live in <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's you know things like mindfulness are are helping with that things like the political climate are helping with that things like millennials inheriting more more wealth from the baby boomers every year is helping that so i'm really enthusiastic and excited about some of these changes on the horizon because they're they're really necessary and it's almost like with with this looming ecological catastrophe and uh widespread nationalism and you know cyber hacking it's like we're, we're more connected than ever we're more of a global tribe community than ever so we have the the potential to actually come together and figure it out and make it work evolve we have the perfect opportunity to and it's really this ultimate initiation like can we do this and for me, I feel like anything I can do in service of that, team humanity, spaceship Earth, the beautiful world in our hearts we know is possible, the new economy, whatever you want to call it, like that feels like I want, I want to be on that team. So there's all sorts of levers that we can play, all sorts of levers we can pull. And I think it just requires every one of us to become a bit more aware of like what levers we have access to based on the communities we run into the the ideas and skills we have and yeah our own ikigai i feel like if everyone yeah if we could figure out a way for more people to to meet their ikigai we'll uh we'll be going in the right direction there's your 60 second idea to change the world (laughs) bingo (laughs) Can you uh, yeah remind us for a second what what the ikigai is? Yeah, ikigai is a Japanese concept meaning a reason for being, and it encourages us to look for the intersection of what we love, what we're good at, what we can get paid for, and what the world needs. Yeah, I love that you're so optimistic about it. That's yeah. <laughs> 
your enthusiasm is really coming through yeah. oh thanks yeah i mean it's it's i feel like i have this conversation with my parents all the time because they they were around my age in the 60s when there was the <laughs> counterculture there was a lot of yeah idealism and some of that survived but a lot of it kind of flamed out and it does feel like something's a little different this time it feels like because we have these global infrastructure, uh, transportation and communication networks that information, ideas, culture can spread really fast. And I think there is this collective consciousness shift towards more collaboration, empathy, love. And to be part of that just feels really good. I agree. I'm part of it with having a podcast and I feel Amen. all of those things happening with every guest and all the listeners. And yeah. yeah, you're spreading the wisdom, raising the vibes. And yeah, we, we need more of that because like, I think a theme of the first half of this was like, yeah, over the course of five years, I've been able to kind of connect with this place and hone some super superpowers. And, but like, it takes, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of these interactions of like hearing wisdom there and experiencing something there. And so we just need more like, yeah, behavior design, like let's throw more of these triggers into the water <laughs> and motivate any, people. Do you have any insane ideas about how to, to throw these triggers in the water? <laughs> um, I mean, for me, I, I, I'm talking right now about aligning your resources with your heart and yet mine, mine aren't right now. So I want to go through that process and share that wisdom outwards and then maybe help other people either through a book or blog posts or workshops or, you know, just even if I help one person that could be, that could be really meaningful. So that's, that's something I can do. I mean, I think Siempo in and of itself is an act of resistance. It's, something that's just people's thinking so uh every time someone downloads that i think it's it's having an impact which is really cool yeah i think all the communities that i've been building over the last year and the conversations that i have at the barbecue um <laughs> and just the way i'm showing up actually i was talking to a buddy about this yesterday where we're both working on several entrepreneurial projects and we feel really uh aligned with those projects and excited about them and at the same time he made a comment like maybe maybe i i just need to show up and be myself and and that's enough like the way that we can carry ourselves can be inspiring and influential just in how we hold space for others and uh, help them connect with what they're looking for and set an example model good behavior like mm -hmm. If you're, I don't know how many people we talk to on average per day, you know, whatever, call it like a couple dozen people. Like each of those interactions is a trigger or a series of triggers. So yeah, it starts with you. I think working on yourself, if you have the, the means to, is, is really important. Because again, whatever we create is an expression of who we are. And I've actually... This is kind of a tangent, but I 
in, in all these new things that I'm doing, I often get the feedback like, oh, someone else tried that. Or like, oh, you know, it, that never works. And it's like, well, first, that was an expression of those people at that time. In that with those, Yeah, with those intentions. So this is going to be different. <laughs> and also, I feel like when you're not attached to an outcome, when you have equanimity with the outcomes, like being okay with whatever happens, it's, you know, the whole, like it's, it's about the journey, not the destination. Mm -hmm. So like with this conscious angel stuff, the original idea was motivating enough for me to explore it, which has taken me to like a part, a part B part C part D, like it keeps evolving. And yeah, it's just this cool knowing of if I feel a pull towards a certain direction, I trust that it's following my bliss is going to lead me to the right things. I don't know necessarily what's going to be. I can have a general intention and hold that mm -hmm. and flow with what's wanting to emerge. So that was like a roundabout way wow, of explaining. You sound like a guru right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What am I trying to say here? Um, that's all to say that. I don't know. Hashtag Ikigai. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. I agree 100%. Yeah. Your, your essential theme is the way you carry yourself um, is, is extremely important. More so than trying to scale and grow mm. this project. Just those daily interactions and passing along those positive vibes and being a model yeah. of the behavior you hope to see in the world. Yes. Thank you. Like, you know, back to the whole Gandhi quote, like, be the change you wish to see in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's that's all you have to do. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, you're you're a wise guy. It's cool. What <laughs> like I'm just personally curious, what have you done for like retreats and mindfulness like to go so deep the level you've gone? You have the vocabulary and the understanding. What have you done about that? Thanks. I appreciate the acknowledgement. I've hopped around workshops, retreats, books. It's all helpful. I, I've really grown a lot in the last year from this one leadership transformation healing program called Luminous. And that's a, an 18-month program that combines really powerful elements of the ancient and the modern. So we go into Qigong and meditation and energy healing and also developmental psych and neuroscience and authentic relating. So they've created a really great map and it's just helped me understand a lot more about myself and how I show up and the relationships have been really, really valuable. So yeah, that program has been a nice, a nice uh, grounding mechanism over the last year because I, I did feel like I was kind of scattering all over the place, like dipping my toes in here and there. And I wanted to go deeper into something, but I wasn't really sure. I think I felt some fear of like, Oh, if I, you know, maybe if I go into uh, this form of Tibetan Buddhism, then uh, I'll be missing out on something else and I won't like it enough or something like that. And then That's such this a program, way to think with the FOMO. I know. Then <laughs> <laughs> this program emerged and it just really spoke to me. It felt like a really great way to get a well-rounded immersion with community. And so, yeah, that's that's been a great cornerstone for me. Cool.
I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm, I will definitely be looking into that. That's at the intersection of so many topic areas for me. Yeah. I don't feel like I found my one practice and I like that this is integrative, but um, you do go, go deep and you combine ancient and uh, modern. That's, yeah, it speaks to me a lot. Well, um, <laughs> I guess it would be a good time for me to get off my computer and start to unwind on my Sunday <laughs> night. Mm. Um, and it seems to go along with the message of our podcast so yeah I'm probably do that now <laughs> <laughs> awesome yeah this was fun you Likewise. have any uh, last thoughts you want to leave us with yeah i would just welcome anyone who's interested in this conversation around resources and transformation like the way I see it, we're, we're in one of the wealthy, wealthiest countries on earth. You and I are in one of the wealthiest cities that's ever existed. There's so many resources and there's so many transformative people and projects coming online to really birth a new world in the shell of the old and they need help and they're approaching this with different intentions. So they need a different type of capital support. And so I'm trying to figure out basically how to bridge those communities and how to change these stories we have around money and investing so yeah uh, if anyone's interested in having those conversations definitely shoot me a note i'm at andrew at siempo.co s-i-e-m-p-o dot c-o and i'm on twitter it's andrew dunn with two a's and yeah i'm half in the bay area half kind of roaming around east coast southern california wherever and yeah i i like connecting people to what they're looking for so you know i'm really really open to chatting with anybody cool thank you so much for that yeah and i'll share all that in the notes too along with some of these uh, resources like luminous conscious angels um yeah insight timer certain things that we've mentioned definitely cmpo um yeah and we may be in contact about uh, projects at some point in my, in my life. I don't know. Yeah. I'm definitely interested in this area um, more, more philosophically than anything at this point and ethically. Mm. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I was able to have you on because this is much more interesting to me than talking about coding. I don't know <laughs> a lot about the technical stuff. And in general, technical things uh, are less interesting to me. Um, so I like that you think of this meta level um as well and that's cool i appreciate that yeah yeah we all have our unique skills and experiences and gifts cool well thank you so much andrew cheers thanks to Nora. people of purpose is launching its very first ever course path to purpose Path to Purpose is the new course I'm launching born from the powerful People of Purpose podcast. It draws on a lot of the concepts and messages of the podcast, but it is the very first course and one-on-one coaching program built by me, your podcast host, Tanner Badgley. I've built this course to create strategies, practices, and actions that allow you to trailblaze yourself down your most authentic path of purpose. It's called Path to Purpose. Over our three months together, each member of the program will learn everything they need to successfully carve out their own path to purpose. Our purpose-seeking students will learn about nine different areas of their lives that they can better understand, practice, and master 
to open up their path to purpose. This individualized course will conclude with a self-designed three-week final project that propels you down your own, very own, dreamlined path to purpose. I, Tanner Badgley, will be with you all the way, hosting weekly one-on-one phone conferences, facilitating all course content, and being available for any question you may have along the way. Everyone taking the course will be walking their own journey, but you won't feel alone in the process. You'll have a team to support your growth. It took a 50-foot fall down the mountain at Yosemite National Park to reach rock bottom and another concussion, breakup, and death in the family and purposeless job to find myself back there. I know the pains of living a life without direction, without guidance, vision, or support. I know how hard it is to decipher what works and what is just gimmicky marketing set up for someone else's success and your pain. I believe the world needs more purposeful people more than ever. It is waiting and ready for you to come alive. That's why I've designed a holistic course that will move you from pain into passion and purpose. This course incorporates my learnings from hosting 40 plus podcast interviews with some of the most purposeful people you'll meet, insights from my 10 day silent meditation course in Thailand, takeaways from my month long yoga teacher training in India, and the multi-year ongoing rehab from life-changing brain injuries. This course is a product of my intense mission to find purpose as I move to Thailand all by myself to teach English and blog about the learnings of my life. Now that I am living from a place of my truest identity and purpose, it's time to teach and guide others into theirs. Today, I have so many powerful habits, routines, and mindsets that I draw from every day, and it's time to use them to create a more joyful, loving, kind, happy, peaceful, and purposeful world. Welcome to our first ever course of Path to Purpose. If you or a loved one is interested in joining our next cohort, send me a direct message at People of Purpose or an email to People of Purpose Podcast at gmail.com. Spots are limited and it's first come, first serve. When I was stuck in the dark room for a month on work leave from suffering my fourth concussion in the middle of a cold Minnesota winter and in denial of a breakup that was never coming back, I didn't know for sure if I'd ever get back my joy, meaning, and satisfaction with life. It took intentional work, undying belief, and the right people and opportunities to come into my life. I was able to get my best self back, and you can too. I believe we each have a responsibility to find our purpose. The world needs you to come alive for the sake of each other and for the sake of our planet. I know that together through purpose, we can wake up that core part of us that remains dormant, untapped, unutilized, and underappreciated. Path to Purpose will water this little seed at the seed of your soul And over time, it will grow and blossom into a forest of purpose. Make sure you give yourself the best gift you could ever give or receive. Sign up for our next Path to Purpose course and give yourself a sense of meaning and purpose for the rest of your life. Here's to becoming people of purpose.